midway through June. By the time this hits your podcast apps, it will be June 15th, which means we are plugging away through the offseason more than two months since the Final Four, the National Championship game in New Orleans, almost two and a half months, which is crazy. It feels like it was a very long time ago and also like last week that I was running around with the clowns in New Orleans as we uh, enjoyed a epic Final Four. Um, Brad, summertime though, we're, we're living large. I'm, I'm officially a year out since I graduated college. I was at Northwestern graduation again. That was very weird. Um, things are things are cruising into to full off season mode. I was texting with a, a coach buddy this morning, and I, I I jokingly said to him that I'm trying out this weird thing called having a work life balance. Really not sure what to expect with it, but uh, seeing how it goes. And uh, so far, so good. How, uh, how are things in the the great state of Massachusetts, Brad? Well, I mean, you kind of buried the lead. You're saying it's 94 degrees right now oh my goodness. In, the, in the evening. It, it, and you know, we're recording at 8 p.m. Central Time. It is 94 in, in, in Chicago. It's crazy town. Over here in the suburbs, we're down at like 70 degrees right now. Must be nice. We've had great weather throughout June, so like, I can't really complain about like a little hot hot spell. But uh, yeah, no bueno. It was unbelievable. I was I was frigid on sunday morning wearing shorts in like 60 degree weather and now it's like 95 you just you can't make it up chicago weather is as unpredictable as it gets but uh we're plugging along into the summer most of the commitments are now in we have a couple more still to come um big one obviously being pete nance who begins his official visit to north carolina um as his podcast is going so uh that's very interesting news we will touch on that here shortly um June live period starts this weekend. Uh, recruiting events at the high schools. Obviously, that was a program that kind of got screwed up by COVID. It was just getting started, and COVID shuts down recruiting for, you know, a summer. Last year, coaches were allowed were allowed at the June live periods, um, but not all states were having them because of the lack of organization and the lack of clarity. So we'll see if those gain any traction, or if we wind up being better off going back to more traditional. Uh, AAU programming in June. Um, obviously, July is Peach Jam. We've got the NBA draft in about 10 days. So uh, if you're a basketball fan, there's plenty on the calendar. And one other thing, we always mention the TBT on this podcast, Brad. Uh, did you see the news that the uh, OTE is entering a team at TBT with the, uh, the Thompson Twins? Well, they're, they're only sending four OTE players. It is very interesting. They're sending the Thompson Twins. They're sending very good. J- Jay-Z and Gortman, uh, who was like a five-star, like a top 20 Athletic point guard, uh, t- you know, top top 20 overall player in the class of 2022, um, bit, kind of a big athletic point guard. And they're saying Jalen Martin, I believe, was the was the fourth guy, but I believe is a wing. Um, and then they're they're loading up their team with former NBA guys. I saw Malcolm Thomas is on the team, o- o- Omari Spellman, you know, a few guys uh, of that ilk, guys who got a cup of coffee in the NBA are now. Looking to make some money in the TBT. Yeah, I, I'm curious, like the backstory here, like who, like whose idea was this? Was this OTE's idea? Was it TBT saying, hey, like, you know, we'd love to get some extra juice, particularly to get NBA scouts in our gym, um, to get the Thompson twins. I mean, the Thompson twins are very, very good prospects. I encourage uh, all of you to go read the feature that Jeremy Wu wrote about them. It gives you an idea of what's going on at OTE but it's, it's centered through the eyes of the Thompson twins who are 
you know, legitimate lottery level prospects, if not more, could be top five, top 10 picks next year in 2023 draft class. Um, the biggest poll so far by uh, OTE. So it's, it's an interesting group. I think obviously by surrounding them with good players, uh, older guys who play the NBA, the team has a chance to do well. And I think the hope would be that if you're, if you're TBT, the hope would be that, and obviously if you're RT as well, uh, your hope would be that they're able to get to Dayton for like the final eight. And that brings not only increased TV exposure, but also NBA scout exposure, uh, which could in turn get more guys contracts and be something you could sell for next year for more participants. So, uh, I think TBT did a good job with, you know, things like this, things like doing Rucker Park to make the event still kind of interesting and new, even though it's obviously kind of found its rhythm as to what it is. Um, over the last several years, it's become like an entrenched thing that happens every summer in the uh, basketball landscape. So um, cool stuff. I mean, I don't really, I'm, I'll probably watch just because I'm like intrigued by the Thompson twins. and I don't really plan on watching like OTE games against like grind session teams next year. So, I mean, it's a very odd evaluation setting. You know, it's some, you know, very physical, not very structured, a lot of older guys against the 18 year olds. See how it goes, but that is a a fun little addition to the basketball calendar, particularly if you're a uh, if you're a fan of the the prospect, fan of the next one up. The other yearly basketball event, this one I, I get more into than OTE, is the U18s and U19 tournaments. This I, I year, can't I can't quite get into the U18 the way into U19. I agree, especially because like the level this year, of competition is just not very good. Well, no, so this this year was U18. Yes. And it was the Americas, so it's the qualifying for the World Tournament right. next That's, year. That, that is the issue. If it was a U18 yeah. World Cup, I would have no issue. It's U19 is the World Cup, and 18 is the local, and the 20s are the locals as well. Um, you know, you have European championships at U18 and U20, uh, and those can be instructive for scouting purposes of, like, okay, like, you know, which guys who are coming over to the States are playing well. Um, but, yes, the, the, the U19, you have the World Cup, which – you know, A winds up being good teams for the most part. I mean, the U.S. team still usually is dominant, but not to the, quite the same extent as they are in the Americas tournament. Um, the guy, the U19 guys are almost always, you know, heading into more more likely to be heading into college that year, uh, which I think helps. And uh, you know, you you just I think it's I think it's just like a slightly better evaluation setting, but still, the U18 is is a good good event, no question. And the American players seem to show relatively well. And I mean, I watched the first half of. Well, maybe like the first 60% of their open air against Dominican Republic until I could feel that the intensity was was yeah. kind of waning uh, as as the lead ballooned into the 30s and 40s. And I watched the first half against Ecuador. I mean, against Ecuador, I, it, it's it's a tough, especially defensively, because all the USA guys are, are trying defensively. And they're just so much bigger and more athletic than these teams. Like, Khalil Ware is very big and very athletic for any setting. Like he was flying around in passing lanes, getting steals off the off the. Well, I don't. I don't think there's stuff. an Amer. I don't think there's an American college basketball player, at least in Division One, from Ecuador. I don't think so. There was right, like, there was one guy in the Dominican Republic who I think is going to be like a low major. Right. Um, but yeah, that, those are the two games that I've watched so far. I haven't been able to check out the rest yet, but. Uh, you know, USA didn't play Canada either. Um, That's the other problem, yeah. right? You usually get a couple. I mean, and, and the Canadian team this year didn't seem like they had a ton of, like high major dudes other than Elijah Fisher, who's off the Texas Tech, and um, Michael Michael Nwoko. Yeah, and like Michael Nwoko, who's a uh, 
He's going to be very, talented. Yeah, very talented player, kind of front court guy. I saw him play for CB3 uh, in April. He's fine. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I just don't know how much you take from this. I mean, obviously, like, this, statistically, Cam Whitmore was unbelievably impressive. But when you're, like, a big athlete who plays really hard, like, you're probably going to have success in the setting. Like, like Cam Whitmore shot 71% on two-point shots in this event. Like, is Cam Whitmore going to, you know, shoot that percentage? Obviously not. But he he, he was very good. You mentioned Kill where he the returns have been very promising for him. Um I loved the floor game for Stefan Castle. I thought you know his, his feel really popped. Uh, Anthony Black does not have great touch nor great shooting. Uh, but again, I'm, he's flying I'm around defensively, like an, blocking shots. Is that his defensive skill, or is that the competition? Who knows? But I'm imagining like some ice likely there with Anthony Black. Maybe not quite the bulldog, but like a similar like he's a point guard, but he can really like. Like, offensively, he's, like, kind of a point guard, kind of a four. Defensively, he's kind of a point guard, kind of a four. You don't really know what he is. It's, like, the the big defensive-minded guard. I'm sure people will call out, like, Sean Livingston and guys like that. But um, trying to think of a good good one off the top of my head. But, yeah, he, he he's, like, a glue guy. He didn't play any point guard in these two games I watched. He was, he was playing the three. Which again, um, the concern. I mean, I said, you know, if you're big and athletic, you should be able to go to get to the room and score. I mean, Cam, Cam went where I said 71%. Uh, Anthony Black shot 36% on two point shots. Yeah, so his 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 touch isn't there. Um, Kalel Ware very athletic. Eric Daly looks like a Terrence Jones clone. Uh, lefty physical forward can handle the ball a little bit. Yeah, he's he's more of a perimeter player than I realized when we spoke last time. Uh, Ty Ty Rogers looked interesting as like that mismatch physical four man. Um, in general, though, the whole team did, did, didn't have a lot of shooting. I think Jared McCain is the guy with the big, big big pedigree, and he looked he looked the part. You know, he he looked one of the he looked like one of the best players on the team. You know, him and Whitmore and Ware and Armstrong. Um, Gigi Jackson looked more raw than I anticipated. Gigi's motor runs hot and cold. I, I saw that at CP3. I, I thought he had a little more skill than he showed. Um, and then Brandon Garrison was just kind of whatever. Uh, Kanan Carlisle was the guy who was left out of the rotation. At least through the, through the two games I watched. He was the last guy off the bench just playing a couple minutes. But um, Well, I, don't, I think he was probably not going to make the team, but then Isaiah Collier got hurt. I did not realize Isaiah Collier got hurt. Yeah, I he got, he hurt got cut. Camp. Yeah, he he apparently played. I was reading like a, a synopsis from Pro Insight, and they said that uh, that that Isaiah Collier was the best player in the camp on like one of the days, and then he got hurt and didn't play the rest of camp and went home. So too bad. But yeah, that, that's a good event. Those games are on YouTube for people who are looking for them. Um, again, you know, Ty Rogers, Illinois, Mark Armstrong, Villanova. Uh, Seth Trimble, North Carolina, uh, Jared McCain, 2023 Dukes, Stefan Castle, 2023 UConn, Kel Ware, 2022 Oregon, Anthony Black, 2022 Arkansas, Cam Whitmore, 2022 Villanova, Gigi Jackson, 2023 North Carolina. So, you know, you're getting a good sense of guys who will make a pretty significant impact uh, in college basketball coming up this season, or this and next season, which is helpful. So yeah, Whitmore and Ware should be lottery picks. Yes, no question. Armstrong and Whitmore are going to start for 
from Villanova. So, yeah. um, shall we get into some of the more recent roster movement that has happened? Should we start with Duke and, and Jacob Grandison? Sure, let's do that. So Duke finally, you know, we, we, we said this last week on the podcast that the Tyrese Proctor commitment uh, to me felt like a good move, or not commitment, reclassification, excuse me. Uh, Tyrese Proctor reclassifying from 2023 to 2022 in a vacuum was like a good move. Right. You're getting another ball handler, another guy who makes shots. He's older. So maybe you have some less concern about the, the struggles that guys who've reclassified have had. Um, but there was kind of this like looming opportunity cost of if it took him out of the game for Courtney Graney, if it took him out of the game for Jacob Grandison, if this was their solution at the guard spot instead of taking a transfer, I didn't love the move quite as much. Well, John Shire proved us wrong. Um, because he did, in fact, take a transfer anyway. He got Jacob Grandison on official visit, and then shortly thereafter, he got Jacob Grandison to commit. Um, I wrote this in my, like, final transfer, like, notes. Um, there's pretty much, like, no downside with Jacob Grandison. He, he's kind of the perfect, like, across-systems player. He's six foot seven. He's got long arms. He tries on defense. He's played on a team that won a Big Ten championship. A team that won a Big Ten tournament championship. They got a one seed that he won a shoot. tournament games. And he shoots 41% from three. He can play three positions. He's a really, really good shooter. Like, there is a place for that on every single team in America, particularly the shooting aspect, which, you know, is a, is a hole for a lot of teams still right now. So, you know, is he a great ball handler? No. But I actually think it works out quite well because – Dariq Whitehead's whole kind of sell is he, he you know, he, he can handle the ball, he can make plays, but he's not a great shooter yet. So now you, you know, and the concern with Grandison, though, you know, he's six seven, he really shoots it, but he's not a great ball handler. So now you have him, him you know, Grandison and Whitehead at the two and the three uh, for this Duke team in the starting rotation. I think that works out tremendously well. Um, you have Jeremy Roach at the one who you know, had a great finish to last season. Obviously, I think maybe some questions about how consistent that will be. Uh, and then they have the loaded front court with the two five-star recruits and Filipowski and Lively, uh, the athletic foreman and Mark Mitchell coming off the bench, potentially Ryan Young, the grad transfer who can plug in at the five, Proctor, Jaden Shute, and then, you know, Kale Catchings, who can also potentially eat some minutes here uh, coming in from Harvard. So uh, hard to hard to, hard to to question any really of the moves that Shire really has made this offseason. Um, hiring Jay Lucas, slam dunk. Uh, hiring Rachel Baker from EYBL. I don't know her uh, personally, but I know enough people who speak very highly of Rachel Baker in that GM role, which is apparently like an NIL type of position. That seems like a slam dunk. Promoting Emil Jefferson. She's also on the record as someone who would drop bags previously. Unless she can legally drop bags. That works well. That was from the Michael Avenatti, I guess. The the Stormy Daniels' lawyer. Yes. I guess in his deposition, I guess uh, Rachel Baker was telling colleagues she didn't feel comfortable going to the airport with bags of cash. And she, and she would just say that she got all, all the cash because she just sold her car. That was it's a, it's a good idea. And now she's the G, the first GM of college basketball. Not the first GM of college basketball. Everyone says that. But Andy Fox was actually the general manager for Vanderbilt. Now, he was basically just the director of basketball ops, but his title was general manager because Jerry Stackhouse likes NBA terminology. So people need to correct themselves. Well, congrats to... Uh, Rachel Baker. Seems great. Uh, I was going to say congrats to Mr. Fox, the first oh, yeah. general manager. What is? How, 
how would you grade his uh, his his tenure so far as a general manager? Well, he just like got I, moved up from general manager to associate head coach, so he's no longer a general manager. Um, but he did, as the general manager and the guy who did the scheduling for Vanderbilt, uh, buy Loyola Chicago, which seemed like a bad move. So Rachel no, Baker, slightly above. We're not going to re- relitigate that, but that was a great move. Um, yeah, Jacob Grandison. Jacob Grandison. Jacob Grandison. You mentioned it, it's a great ad because he's someone who does not need the ball. He can just spot up and shoot. His numbers were a lot better than I anticipated. When I saw he was leaving, because, you know, he didn't play a ton down the stretch. If, if He was hurt. If memory serves. He had a really bad shoulder injury to the point where he was in a sling oftentimes before games. And I was like, you know, maybe maybe he wants to be the guy. He can go to Colorado State. You know, maybe USC could use a stretch four. You're like, no, nah, he's going to. Blue blood, and you know that was that was a good move for Duke at the time. We were still weighing, you know, can they get Trevor Keels back? Can they get AJ Green? And while Grandison does not have the upside of those guys, I think his, his fits really nice, and I think Proctor still has a role here coming off the bench. That you know, as that first guard coming off the bench, um, I'm liking this Duke team more and more. I, I am seriously considering them for number one. I, mean, I just don't that, know how good Derek Lively and Cal Filipowski actually are. I know Lively is very athletic. He can shoot the ball. I've seen Filipowski play a couple times. He is super skilled. Right. I'm just wondering from a year-long college basketball impact, like, are they all conference guys? Are they all Americans? Because I kind of think one of them has to be, like, first-team all-ACC good. And I'm not <laughs> totally sure either is. You're also going to have one of the best players in college basketball, and Jeremy Roach. Okay, slow your roll here. Let's 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 pull up Mr. Roach's numbers now. This is a former five-star that just took a huge step forward in year two. He. You know, Jeremy Roach teams, was like actively bad at times last year. Like, yes, he was nice down the stretch, but like I, I. I do think we should be careful in like anointing him one of one of the best players in college basketball when he averaged eight, two, and three on forty-one thirty-two. He's playing with five NBA yeah. players. And the fact that he played with five NBA players and shot forty-one percent at thirty-two percent and had a mediocre assist to turnover ratio it, it would be a little concerning, would it not? No, no, the 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 ball's in his hands now. He he's gonna take a huge jump. Well, in the uh, final 14 games of the season, from February 15th on, he averaged 11 points a game and shot 49% from the field. So maybe uh, maybe things are trending up for Mr. Roach. But he's a, he, he's basically a one-to-one assist-to-turnover ratio guy. Um, or excuse me, two-to-one. My math is not always there. Again, um, you know, he's not like I, I, again. I just don't. I, I don't think Jeremy Roach is going to be like first-team All-Conference next year. I don't. Maybe I'm wrong. I think I think he will be, but I, I haven't I haven't looked at all you know a, a top down look at all the players in the ACC. Well, I'm I'm now looking at my depth charts and I'm getting a little concerned. I just like I, I just I just look at this group and I compare it to North Carolina's roster, like even without um even without P Nance, and I, I will, we'll mention him in a second. I just like I'm like very much in favor of North Carolina over Duke. In that I think R.J. Favorite. Davis is better than him, certainly. Right. No, R.J. Davis, I would be willing to entertain as one of the best players in the country. Like, I, I think Pete Nance is better than Jeremy Rush. So do I. I think, I think four of five starters, if North Carolina gets 
Pete Nance would be better than Jeremy Roach. Now, this isn't a conference comparison, but they're right next to each other on, on my depth charts. Do you prefer Malachi Smith of Gonzaga or Jeremy Roach? Oh, man, that's hard. I think probably Roach slightly. But, so, um, so we definitely have Roach as like a top 75 player in college yes, basketball. Yes, yes. But is that one of the best players in college basketball? I mean. Well, I haven't, I haven't made out my list, but I anticipate having him higher than 75. I, I, again, ha, have to do the list before I start making yes. proclamations like that, but. Like, this, this is what happened last year when I claimed that Micah Peavy was a top 100 player in college basketball. And you, like, had an aneurysm live on the podcast. The, the, the TCU stuff worked out. It did. I was, very, I was correct, but not because of Micah Peavy. Micah Peavy averaged, like, 7 and 5. Eddie Lampkin. Oh, yeah, big lamp. Explosion. Big lamp. Um, um, how we... about Gonzaga? They're not going to have any movement here. These guys aren't. Guys aren't going to bite them the bench. Okay. These, guys love, these guys love Spokane. They love the town, I suppose. Must be. But, okay. Uh, All right, next. Should we, uh, should we let's, let's, let's talk about Pete Nance. Let's talk about Pete Nance quickly. Um, All right. I don't want to, like, jump the commitment, but his recruitment has been so quiet, and he is such like, a high-impact transfer. Um, you know, you watch a few Northwestern games this year, mostly to, like, share in the suffering that I did. Uh, I'm curious your perspective on what Nance is as a as like a you know as a player not just as a North Carolina but in a vacuum because my viewpoint has kind of been like Pete Nance is really freaking good and Northwestern's terrible guards and poor coaching held him back from being even better and from the team being very good. Um, and if you plug him in at North Carolina in the Brady Manic role, yes, he's a worse shooter than Manic, but he shoots 45% for three and he does everything else a little bit better than Manic did. He's a little bit better defender. He's a little bit more versatile. He's a little bit better scoring the ball. Uh, he's a little bit better as a passer, like all of those things. Um, I'm curious what you think of Nance kind of in a vacuum before we talk about the North Carolina fit as he begins his official visit. Yeah, man. I think he's obviously a great player. I remember watching him thinking he – he would be a great fit for, for, for Providence next to Croswell. And I think, obviously, Baycott's similar style oh, and, God, and much we're better. not comparing Armando Baycott to Ed Croswell. They're the same style of player. Okay, yes, fine. But only in the same way that me and Lamar Odom are the same style of player. Huh? You're, you're a point forward? Oh, yeah. Six foot three point forward. Yeah, come on. Line them up. Lefty. Passer. Hell yeah. Well, talking skill sets, they are the exact same skill set. Baycott's bigger and better. We all know that. And Nance, with with his ability to also play some five, he can play the four, he can shoot the ball. He's stiff, but 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 he's a good athlete. Uh, smart player. can More fluid than explosive, certainly. Yeah. I think it's a very good fit. And if... If you want to go smaller, you can still roll out there with Puff Johnson with the four. Yeah. There's, there's, a, a, few thi- there's yeah. a few things I like about this, if it, go, if it goes to North Carolina. Number one, um, Armando Baycott played 35 minutes a game the final 13 games of the season. 
like when North Carolina like decided we're like trimming the bench, and we're not playing. Yeah, like, like we're 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 going with the Iron Five. Bake up like 35 minutes a game. That's not sustainable for a full season. The fact that you could get 10 to 12 really quality backup center minutes from Pete Nance. I mean, you know, he, he every mo, most teams in the conference would love to have Pete Nance as their starting center. You know, he's better than like 90% of the centers in the ACC. Uh, so the fact that you could like bring him in and like run offense through him would be really valuable as the backup five. He would start at the four. He could do some of the things that Manic did. He's a very good passer, which I think fits into fits into the mold. Um, he can guard fours, I think, without too too much issue. And like you said, if you take him off the floor, you have Puff Johnson. Um, but it takes all the pressure off of you know a guy like Jalen Washington to be able to give them 15 minutes a game, or not even 15, but 10 minutes a game as a back of five, right? Because like right now, what are you doing when you sub out Baycott? You could do small ball with Justin McCoy, or you can do Jalen Washington. Right. Neither of whom really have any offensive game. So you're, Justin you're McCoy deep. certainly doesn't. I, I have no idea what J- Jalen Washington's game is like, but he's a top 50 recruit. Very uh, injury prone, from what I hear. So that's a concern. I, I, I just think, I think it's, again, it's a perfect fit. I know that there have been other schools that I've, I've heard in connection with him, namely like Alabama has been in the mix from what I've heard. But North Carolina gets the official visit. The first at least reported official visit. Um, you know, again, I think it's one of those things where it's like eventually you just kind of talk to Nance, not talk not Nance into this role. Like it's such a good role for him. They play fast. They have a good, you know, good coach. They have much better guard play than Northwestern had. Uh, I say this all the time. Northwestern, like three to five times a game, Pete Nance would like make a great, make a great read, make a great pass, and it was too good a read for Boo Booey. It was too good a read for Chase Audis. They would not see the pass coming. They would not be ready to shoot. And you know it would it would blow blow a really good play. I mean he, he to me he was a guy who could get a two way. He he is that good. And if North Carolina gets him, I think you have to have a really serious conversation about them as the number one team in the country. Like like to me that would be the best starting five in America bar none. Uh, and the question is, do you think it's the best team? I'm open to you know, debating that, but I I would have them. I will have them number one in my preseason poll if Pete Nance commits to North Carolina. I mean the the only thing working against them is. That they were like an eight seed last year, but they have some borderline NBA talent. They got some really accomplished college basketball players. Davis is ready to take a huge jump. The bench should be really strong. We adding Seth Trimble in there. You'll have Puff Johnson coming off the bench. Dontrez Styles played more down the stretch last year. I mean, that's they 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 look like a pretty solid like top five the worst team to me. Um, and again, I mean, like the UCLA comparison, like from last year, UCLA basically lived up to expectation, right? They were a top 10 Ken Palm team. Maybe they like came up a little bit short of it, but like for Thank the most part, short. like people had a number one. Yeah, but the people who had a number one shouldn't have been taken seriously. And, and like they were four seeds, so they they were obviously very good. But just they also not, got, kind of get screwed by COVID. They had a month-long pause. Not not quite the elite team that people thought, but they were very, very good. They were they finished like eighth in Ken Palm. And but like, they but like, were, hold on. This 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 whole idea that I, I see floated time and time again, mostly by the three man weave that like these heavy returner teams can't improve. It doesn't make any sense. Because 
So the only way to improve is if you lose guys. Like there's 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 no correlation between. I, well, I think I think I think the thing about it is it's very self fulfilling, right? Like I think I think the research that like they present makes sense. I think you have to like consider it though. Like what types of teams tend to run it back, right? Like because like look at the four, top like teams four this year. teams run it back. You, you like, like look at the top teams this year. Like Arizona was young, but they ran it back. They brought in a they, bunch of like different pieces too. Baylor lost a ton of guys. Like that's not you, you can't be like, oh, the 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 reasoning or like the the teams you want to look out for to put in the top are the teams that lost a lot of guys to the NBA. I think I think the I think again so I think the way I would put it is this like there is a level of talent and coaching that you need to be a top ten team that is very hard to get to. And oftentimes Teams are just thrust into those spots in the rankings because there's uncertainty on other teams and there's certainty with these teams, right? Like I'll give you an example. Yeah, exactly. Like T, like 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 TCU. TCU has you know um, Mike Miles and Damian Ball and Chuck O'Bannon and Lampkin and all these guys back. They were 26th in Ken Palm last year. Like in theory, but like yeah, like that that team could be a top ten team, right? Because on paper, all these guys are back, and you compare them to all these teams ahead of them, you know, Illinois and um, you know Arizona and all these teams, like they all lose a ton. But again, TCU probably like didn't, maybe they didn't max out, but they like came close to maxing out. They're a bad shooting team. They're a great offensive rebounding team. They are terrible at taking care of the ball. That's who they are, right? They have like sub- like substantial flaws. Right, and, and you can talk about Seton Hall, the COVID season. You know, they were another team that you, you kind of ran it back. And yes, they were better. Right, they had a very good team. They were 20th in the final Ken Palm. They won the uh, the Big East regular season that year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it, they were a three seed per bracket matrix. But they were right. But they were 20th in Ken Palm, and they were three way tied. They were not an elite team. They were very good. But again, like they had great. You know, they had very good players. But they didn't have a team that was quite good enough to be, you know, truly a top ten team. I think I think the idea that it is hard to truly ascend into the elite, into the, you know, top tier or top two tiers of national title contenders. I think it's reasonable to say that those, you know, to to get to that caliber, you need to do more than just run it back. Because running it back usually indicates and it may not be about running it back. It might not be because you're running it back. It is because the symptoms of a team that runs it back usually are, okay, you're not that talented, because if you were that talented, they'd go to the NBA, right? And, the, you know, the reason why a UCLA or a North Carolina or something like that who has a, has a slightly better chance of, I think, ascending into that non-top, getting into that elite tier, is because they have a slightly higher caliber of recruit on the roster. They should theoretically have a slightly higher caliber of coach. Um, you know, with UCLA, Juzang was, like a, you know, a second-round pick type uh, Hawkeyes, uh, you know, second round pick, Campbell, an old, experienced, talented point guard. With North Carolina, kind of the same thing, right? Are any of these guys like elite pro prospects? Probably not, but you know, Davis and, and Love would have probably been two-way guys. Baycott, you know, I don't know what he is as a professional, but again, clearly one of the most dominant college players in the country. So I think I think that's really what it is, Brad. It's like there's a certain level of talent you need to win to to be an A-list national title contender. It is very hard to climb that mountain top just by running. Okay, but you'll you'll exclude those teams. I'm not Meanwhile, excluding like, them. like like Iowa will get there after they lose guards and Wieskamp. You know, or like But Iowa wasn't not 
top two tiers of Nashville title contender. Didn't didn't you have them in the final four? I did. That was a mistake. They were they were a five seed. Oh, so 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 now so now we use seed we use the seed to disqualify Iowa, but we use Seton Hall's good seed to disqualify them. Where was Iowa and Ken Hum? Thirteenth, fourteenth. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, or or use any. And they also had NBA player that no one knew at the time. Yeah. Everyone had Keegan Murray is like, oh, he's a he's more of a prospect than a player. He'll be like a mid mid first round pick or, or like late first round pick. He's a stud. No, but this is what's gonna happen this year with those teams, right? Like people are gonna puff out their chest like, oh, you idiots have TCU tenth. I'm gonna have him seventeenth. Instead tenth, I'm gonna put like Xavier, and then TCU is gonna come in twentieth and Xavier's gonna come in twenty first and they're gonna say, see I told you so TCU wasn't a top ten team. Meanwhile the team that you put top ten is gonna be even lower. Fair I guarantee enough. you that's gonna happen. Fair enough. Um speaking of teams that sort of run it or don't run it back, but we're trying to figure out what to do with them. Arizona finally struck on the portal. It took them a few months, but uh, two important additions without question. Um, the big one is Courtney Ramey from Texas, who uh, you know, we've talked about on this podcast, I think since you went into the portal, like about as high floor of a potential transfer as you could possibly take. He's a four-year proven starter in the Big 12 in the best league in college basketball. He's played in NCAA tournament games. He can handle the ball. He can play the one. He can play the two. Uh, he's tough. You know, he defends, like, you know, checks every box. Um, is there a little bit of a floor or a ceiling with him? Yeah, probably. But like, you know, he's a he's a very good player, and this team had like one guy who could handle the ball before this. So uh, good on Arizona for adding Courtney Ramey. I know there are concerns. Uh, he played in the Portsmouth Invitational. The Portsmouth Invitational is not an NCAA sanctioned event. It's not the NBA Combine. So there is some question as to whether he will be eligible right away. I would be stunned if he's ineligible like for the whole season, but. Could he get like a three-game suspension for playing a non-NCAA sanctioned event? Yes, that is a possibility. Could he get five games? Yeah, possible. I don't know. Supposedly, don't know all difference. all all he needs is a waiver from the NCAA. That was correct. That was what was floated at the time of the Portsmouth Invitational. Is that but these guys aren't necessarily gone, but they will need a waiver to come back and play. Will he get that waiver? I don't know. What They're what's the reasoning waiver. for the waiver? Well, he didn't make any money. I mean, it's just a tournament. Right, but what? But what? I don't know. I'm just I'm confused by the whole affair. It, it, it's weird because Portsmouth would only invite seniors. Correct. In a previous era, seniors were seniors. They're seniors, done. Seniors. Yes. Now seniors are not seniors. Seniors can be juniors. Seniors can be sophomores. Seniors can be anything. Yes. Um, Arizona also did add Cedric Henderson from Campbell. Um, I was talking to a coach who was recruiting uh, Cedric Henderson. Um, to a lower level. Um, and he said basically that he had talked to someone in the Big South and the person in the Big South said the best player in the Big South last year was DeMorian Williams and the second best player in the Big South was Cedric Henderson. DeMorian Williams is going to Texas Tech and now Cedric Henderson is off to the Arizona Wildcats. Six foot six kid, efficient scoring the basketball, not like a super high volume three-point shooter, but shot 38% this past season, uh, 55% on twos, 
um, good size. Do I love him in Arizona? Probably not, but you already have some of the upside swings with a guy like Adama Ball. Um, having a guy who's steady like Henderson, I like that. I think that's that's a good move. Again, you had four scholarships open before you took Ramey and Henderson. This team feels a little bit more complete. I've got them with Creesa, Ramey, Larson, Tabellis, and Ballo as the starting group with Henderson, Adama Ball, Henry Visar, and uh, Philip Borovikanen as the top nine with uh, Taut Vilas, Tubelas, and Dylan Anderson uh, in the deep back end of the rotation. Thoughts on what Arizona was able to accomplish for this week in the portal? The, uh, the Ramey was enormous. I mean, he's very, very good. I mean, you, you went through it, but he's got all, all these skills. He plays both sides of the ball. Proven team. He's productive. He's played a ton of minutes. Texas has always been disappointing, but they've always been pretty good. Um, and adding him to, you know, where he, he can be the backup point guard and the starting two guard next to Creesa. I love that fit. I love sliding Larson down to the three. He, he can handle the ball a little bit, too. They're excited about Larson, too, from what I hear. Kind of letting him loose after coming off the bench last year. Uh, and then Henderson, sixth man. I think, I mean, you need to add some experience and, 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 and pop to your bench. Cut. Kind of give me some Justin Kyer vibes, or I think Kyer is probably a better player. I know Kyer had the injury concerns, but just like a guy coming off the bench who's super old and proven, experienced, uh, can can add a steady hand. And the uh, draft guys love Vizar. Uh, they've slotted him as like a top 75-ish recruit, I think. Um, and then Ball has a pedigree, so I think that's I think those are the eight guys that are going to play. I mean, I, I mentioned it should be like a top 25 team. Yeah, I'm going to have him like right. 17 or 18, I think. Yeah. Um, I mentioned last week, I think, with Dale and Terry, one of my concerns with him leaving was that he was kind of the steady hand to the volatility of Kerr. Now, I, I think of Courtney Ramey slightly differently. Like, I think Ramey is a little bit more of a bulldog, uh, definitely kind of plays hot and cold, uh, high energy. But I also think that having a fifth-year guy who has just been through a lot of college basketball, been in tough environments, will help Arizona and will help Kerr. Because Kerr is talented. Like, like again, I watched that game courtside in Champaign at Assembly Hall, uh, or the State Farm Center, excuse me, um, and watched Kerr Creesa win them a game in the second half on the road in a tough environment. Like, he is legitimately good enough to do that, but I think you need someone who's a little bit more steady when he runs cold when he shoots you out of games when he goes over 10 uh and i think courtney ramey can probably do that so uh, i do like that move for the arizona wildcats and i was going to say something but i forgot so should we move on to washington state who had a good week just before i forget could we touch on joey baker quickly yes so he's visited Michigan, Georgia, and George Washington. And I think he, he's in a real pickle, right? Because Michigan does need him. They lost two starters late. They need an experienced guy in the wing who can shoot the ball. But also, I mean, he could go to Michigan and get, and get buried again. You know, maybe it's Kobe Bufkin's good. Maybe Jack Howard is so good he doesn't he want to play at Michigan. But he would be like, it's possible that it would be There is a chance he like, doesn't play at Michigan, though. There's, I don't think there's a chance he plays any less than he played at Duke. You play 10 minutes a game, worst case. Right, but the whole point of him transferring presumably was to 
play more than he did at Duke. Fair enough. So there's a chance that he's a starting small forward and it averages double figures. Um, and there's also a chance he gets buried. George Washington, he, he would definitely play. But, like, even adding him, I mean, what's, what's their upside? I mean, James Bishop, who wants to play with James Bishop? You know, he, he's a shoot first, shoot second, shoot third type of guard. And then Georgia, I was surprised they were even going after a transfer. I thought that their rotation was pretty set. Um, he would have a little competition there. That's it seems like he shouldn't go to Georgia, right? Either go to the Michigan team that needs you and is the big brand in the Big Ten, or go to George Washington where you're, you will definitely play a ton. Georgia seems like a half measure that's going to screw you both ways. Well, the, uh, the, real I, ha- the real half measure would be to go to a – Team that's where you're gonna play a ton like a GW, but it's actually good. Right? Like GW is probably like pillow fight in the A10. Like they're probably bottom five. Maybe they're a little bit better. Maybe you know Caputo gets more about a James Bishop and Ricky Lindo and whatnot. But like, why wouldn't you go to like? We keep using Car as an example, but they have two scholarships and they have a glaring need at four. Like Joey Baker starting power forward at Colorado State would be terrific. Play with an elite point guard. But an offense that really, uh, you know, m- plays with great space on a team that has a lot of shooting already, so he's going to be able to space the floor. Um, like, that would be, like, a really good fit. But, again, I don't know what, you know, George, George Washington is an excellent academic school. That might be part of it. There could be NIL considerations. Who knows if GW is, like, packing the cash. I mean, they theoretically have a lot of rich alumni. just don't know if they care about NIL. So, uh, I know when I was going to college, George Washington was – considered the most expensive school in the country. It's very expensive. I think Northwestern is slightly more expensive than GW. So, uh-huh. hang, hang that banner. Oh, yeah, baby. Uh, but no, I see it. Joey Baker's an interesting spot. Um, I still think, like, you go to Michigan because, like, I just don't know. There's so many questions with this rotation. Like, we're really running out of bodies here. Like, we can actually plug in. So, maybe uh, maybe Juwan's guys will prove me wrong. But I have my question marks, and I just, like, kind of think you should go to Michigan, but I also think at the end of the day, like, particularly with these transfer visits, like, if you visit and you leave and you take some time and then you take another visit that wasn't previously planned, probably not going to the other school. You know, like. Oh, well, I mean, now the guys have all the time in the world, but in April it was well, one and done for the most part. You don't have all the time in the world because you have to go enroll in school and get, get there for summer work. I mean, didn't, didn't Kerwin Walton take three visits? Kerwin Walton did take three visits. Why don't we transition to Kerwin Walton, who committed to Texas Tech? Um, interesting move. I think we were both kind of on the record saying like Kerwin Walton's list was a little, little rich for our blood. But also when you look Memphis. at yeah Memphis, Memphis, I was doing my Memphis depth chart today. Memphis's wing depth is like horrendous. Um, Texas Tech wanted more shooting, so I I get that. Um, Kerwin Wallen's a very good shooter. He averaged eight points a game as a freshman at North Carolina. He shot 40% for three. Regressed this past season. Just couldn't stay on the floor defensively. I think that's the kind of really interesting rub here is that, like, Kerwin Walton was like an actively bad defender um, this past season. And how does that work for a coach that prioritizes defense more than anyone in the country? I don't know. Um, I do know that Mark Adams did a good job with Kevin O'Banner. I know uh, Riley Davis, if he checked. He's a North Carolina guy and obviously is a Anfield 68. Shout out to the new newsletter. Um, he's a North Carolina guy, and he uh, he kind of pointed out that if, if he, they did it with O'Banner, maybe it'll work with 
with Kerwin Walton, but uh, it's a crowded wing rotation. You've got yeah. Kamorian Williams, you got Jalen Tyson, you got Elijah Fisher, you got Kerwin Walton, you got Lamar Washington, probably not gonna play, but whatever. Um, it gets Washington um, might play over Elijah Fisher. Elijah Fisher could be in trouble here, as an aside, but go on. Yes, I agree with that. I agree with that. One of the freshmen is going to play, not the, how about that? Or Demorian Williams or Jalen Tyson, not play. Or Kareem Walton. Like, like, there's only room for like four of these guys max. And uh, again, I just haven't been been there. Like, I, I'm assuming they're going to get something from Jalen Tyson. Like, I'm assuming, like, again, he was a good recruit. He was like hyped up. People at Texas didn't want him to leave. Like, I think Jalen Tyson is going to be a good player. I think Demorian Williams is a good player. I think that, you know, you should at least be able to get some, like, defense energy and athleticism from Elijah Fisher. So where are these minutes coming from? I don't know. But yeah, he's going. He's probably yeah. a high major player. No, he, he he's definitely a high major player. But we were looking at Memphis that was in his top five, which should be a good team and needed a wing shooter. His hometown, Minnesota, which is not in his top five, but should have rolled out the red carpet for him to be their two guard. Um, and, and this I, – I think this is kind of equivalent to Joey Baker going to Georgia, where you're like, I guess they needed more shooting. I guess they needed a wing, but like, weren't the other options better? Like, I think if if Joey Baker commits to Georgia, I think we'll be saying, but didn't Michigan need him more? I think Curran Walton committing to Texas Tech for a defensive-minded coach with all the, all this wing talent already in, in tow is is going to be us kind of like, why didn't he just commit to Memphis? particularly when Memphis's entire off-ball player selection right now is Elijah McCadden, Jonathan Lawson, and Jaden Hardaway. No, I, Kendrick and I have a Alex hunch Summers. that they're going to get Emmanuel Acott, Memphis. Could be. Just a vibe. But. So, that, so that now you have three players capable of playing two spots, or four players instead of three, and one of them is a walk-on. So. Yeah, you, you, even if they got Emmanuel Acott, they— There's room they, for both. Yeah, they would have had more room than Texas Tech had. Unless you, unless, unless you are like the biggest Elijah McCadden and Jonathan Lawson believers of all time. Which, Weren't you big on Jonathan Lawson? I don't think I've ever even seen Jonathan Lawson play. I, I thought I remember you telling me a Memphis guy told you he was like this point forward, he was going to play a ton. And stuff. That could be, but it's been a while. Yes. I don't remember all the intel I get. You want to Washington State next, you said? Yeah, let's do Washington State. They have I, I, event for I just love this Justin Powell pickup. Oh, it's tremendous. It's he like, was it's, so good at Auburn with the ball in his hands. Right. Tennessee, I thought he was going to play a ton. On paper, I thought he was, was going like, to be like Kevin Herter. It was like, you give him a point guard to play with. You know, Kennedy Chandler was going to be the Trey Young. He was going to be the Kevin Herter. He was going to make shots, handle the ball a little bit. Like, just didn't work. Yeah, on paper, it was a perfect marriage. Now he's going to a Washington State team that desperately needs some backcourt creation. Balls in his hands. He's the guy. Yeah. Yeah. And then they get Muhammad Gay back, which was very surprising. He'll, I mean, their front court is going to be pretty solid again. Um, it's just going to be this, you know, can can Powell play point guard at a high level again? Can he show those NBA prospect flashes that he did as a freshman? And then how how are these remaining role guy is going to slot in here. It's probably a worse roster than it was last year. Absolutely. Yeah. But like theoretically, like like the first 10 games of Auburn, Justin Powell 
is better than any guards that Washington State had last year. It's better than Michael Flowers. It's better than uh, Ghost Roberts. It's better than all those dudes who were kind of inefficient. They were, you know, score first. Um, you know, Noah Williams struggled. Like, like he's better than Noah Williams when he's at his best. Right? Like, there, this is like a huge boom, boomer bust move. And yeah, he's been in like a million, million schools. Yes, he's third school in three years, and like three high schools before that. Like, it's, you know, you you kind of want, you know. It's not Theodore Johnson, who we'll get to actually after yeah, this, next, but next. it is a uh, it, it is you know a well-traveled role of the dice here. But you know, look, it's, it's Pullman, right? Like at Washington State, you're not you're not getting Justin Powell without it just being Justin Powell having some risk involved with injuries, with you know issues off you know with issues chemistry-wise, whatever. Like you're not getting six-six ball handler, playmaker, you know, shooter extraordinaire. Like you're just not. So to have that, to have, you know, some guys back like TJ Bamba and Jekamovsky who've been in the rotation, to have Muhammad Rodman's Gay, back, right? who I think has a great chance to be very good. Yeah, DJ Rodman also could be in the rotation. Um, and then they have the uh, the highly regarded, another prolific prep kid, another kid from Senegal, uh, Adrame Diong, uh, who has some upside as like a rim-protecting center. So, like, on its best day, this roster looks something like what they had last year, which was like maybe 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 like a bubbleish team. Um, will it all break right? Probably not. But you know, they've got some. They've taken some good gambles here with with Powell, with Miles um, Rice, who was you know a guy that they really liked last year and just never really got into the fold. With a uh, you know they they roll the dice on Jay Mullins from St. Mary's. You know analytically, like he looked pretty good in his short you know in in his limited minutes. So maybe there's a role for him. Um, so, so again, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, that was a team I could have ignored before they got gay and Powell back. And now they have a group that's like, yeah, like that's probably like an IT ish, you know, that could be an IT team. And the PAC 12 is not looking super strong next year. So there's, there's room to move up. You know, that, that cuts both ways, right? Where you can carve out an inch at the top of the league, or you're going to be short on opportunities. There are a bunch of these teams in the PAC 12 where I kind of like, where if you squint hard enough, you're like, yeah, maybe, maybe, I guess, right? Like, I'm, like we like Arizona, we like uh, Oregon, I think we like UCLA, probably like USC enough. Like, I just wish team. USC had one more piece. One more piece, agreed. But you know, those those, those teams are all okay. Um, and then you're like, okay, well. Washington's got Noah Williams, PJ Fuller, Jamal Bay, Keon Brooks, and Frank Ketnong. Maybe that's like a top 75 team. Washington State's got Justin Powell and Muhammad Gay. Yeah, maybe that's a top 75 team. Yeah, you know, Arizona State, if Marcus Bagley's healthy and Frankie Collins lives up to the recruiting pedigree, maybe, maybe that's an okay team. Stanford's or, got Harrison Ingram. Stanford's got Harrison Ingram, and Colorado's got, you know, good young players like Tristan De Silva and KJ Simpson who could, you know, maybe make an impact. A lot of like NIT, a lot, a lot of NIT, but and then obviously you have a clear bottom with Oregon State and Cal, maybe Utah. I do kind of want to buy some Craig Smith stock again at some point, but pretty low right now. I mean, yeah, it's got to be low. I mean, the recruiting Utah's left for there. dead. They're, they're they're adding transfers who weren't even in Wisconsin's rotation, basically. Well, they wanted the chance to have the Ben Carlson, Brandon Carlson front court of the least athletic looking dudes on the planet. So, how do you turn that down? Guys moving, on, the moving on to the guy who we should have led this podcast with. That's Dior Johnson. Yes. He's going to pit. Maybe he starts. Maybe he comes off the bench. I don't think he's get, coming not to start. 
Uh, I was about to say, what is he going to do, leave? But yeah, he will leave. I mean, I was uh, going to say... It's like the meme where it's like, uh, what are you going to do, stab me? Yeah. And like the newscast, man who was stabbed. You know, it's, yeah. like, it's the same exact thing. But like the thing I don't understand about D.R. Johnson and him going to like 10 high schools, whatever it was, is he was a top five player in the class who finishes a top 40 player. He is objectively, uh, objectively, an incredible basketball player, who, for basketball reasons, there's like no reason for him to go to more than like two or three high schools. So like, cool. why, how, and why was he leaving mid-season at these places? Like, it could be like, oh, I'm not playing enough, I'm not being featured enough. Like, you're like one of the best players in the country. Bad mentorship, bad advice. People in your ear, everyone's selling a different role at a different high school, a different this, a different that. Is it the role at every high school, like best player? I mean, not when you're on prolific prep. Not when you're, like, forced to play in a structure and, like, go to class and, like, be in a – go to practice on time and, like, actually work hard, you know, like. There's well, a reason he later. is – I think there's a reason his rankings have dropped, and it's not just – the fact that he's like impossible to deal with, right? Like I do, I do think the basketball side has been hurt. I think part of the basketball side's struggle is like there's been no structure to develop, right? Like how how are you getting better when you're never coached by the same person for longer than three months? And then Andrew Slater had a tweet where he was basically like taking credit for him going to Pitt, which was, I found weird. Yeah, that was an odd one. I mean, look, I like I, I love this move. If you're pit, right? Like, look, we Push talked about yeah. right. I mean, I, I think we talked a couple a couple podcasts ago about how if you like really stared hard at this roster for pit, you could kind of talk yourself into them being like a top seventy five ish team because if you like get Greg Elliott this, Jamari's Burton that, and Blakins in this, but like realistically, this team was probably going to go like fifteen and sixteen, and Jeff Cable was going to get fired, right? Like that that was where this was going. This team was not talented enough, whatever. Um, you get an opportunity to bring in a kid like Dior Johnson, who at one point was, you know, this, you know, the dude, right? Like, at one point, Dior Johnson was what Mikey Williams is, or like one, one of these, like, true names. Like, Dior Johnson wasn't just, like, a great recruit. Dior Johnson was, like, a legit name. Like, he was having dinner at LeBron's house. He was playing on Strive for Greatness with Jazair Jackson and uh, Bronny James. Like, it, like, he was the mixtape sensation. Like, this dude was the thing. Like, he, he was the man. And... You take him and you hope it works. You hope it, you know, it holds on. It holds on to the tracks for a year because they just didn't have enough juice otherwise, right? And you know, maybe in their best case, they make an NIT and Jeff Cable saves his job. Like, whatever. Like, like, I, I, I think if you were taking Dior at this point, and I think the, the conversation is probably pretty similar to what you'd be thinking about with Amani Bates, right? And it's probably less of a spectacle to take Dior than it is to take Amani. Um, like. You you have to have nothing to lose. Like you have to be able to be like, all right, if this blows up in my face, there will be like no negative, like no substantial negative consequence from what would have happened otherwise, right? Like so, if George Johnson blows up in the face of Pitt, like Jack Cable's like, all right, I was probably getting fired anyway, right? Like you either needed that or you needed a coach with like unlimited job security, right? Like this is like 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 Kenny Payne could have taken George Johnson, and be like, all right, it's year one, 
you know, it doesn't really matter. We're not going to be good enough without him. If you if you if it works, he was great, great. If not, like we were going to lose anyway, and we can just refresh with DJ Wagner next year. You know what I mean? Like it had to be like one of those two type situations, or even like a Florida State with Leonard Hamilton, where he can do it. Like he's he he's been around forever. He's never getting fired. He can walk away whenever he wants. Right? Like you're walking into a situation where you know it can kind of crash and burn, but you're okay with that because of the upside of getting this elite recruit, right? And if Jack Capel works his magic with D.R. Johnson, and D.R. Johnson becomes you know, you know, shows off the promise and becomes a, you know, all-conference guy and, and, and rebuilds his stock. It's a great feather in his cap, and it, it might get him another year. It might get him another new life at this program. But right now, shit, I mean, it just made him interesting, right? Like, I want to watch Pitt, I want to watch Pitt game. Like, I want to see what Dior Johnson and, like, like Dior Johnson, Nelly Cummings, Jamarius Burton, Blake Henson, John Hughley as a starting five with Greg Elliott, Nike Sabandi, and uh, Diaz, Diaz kids. I mean, that's, that's like a funnish team. Like, like when you compare that across the rest of this league, that compares favorably with Syracuse. That compares favorably with Virginia Tech. That compares favorably with Lake Forest. Again, that's all predicated on Dior Johnson not completely blowing up the entire organization. Because look, if we thought Xavier Johnson was bad, if the Xavier Johnson Trey McGowan's thing didn't go well, I can only imagine what will happen when you bring in a kid who's been to 12 schools in four years. Yeah, and we'll see if this actually materializes anything for Pitt. We'll see if he actually makes it to campus or how many games I think he makes. He's gonna it. make it to campus. I mean, it was it was very wild how quickly this all happened. It was like, all right, I'm reopening. Okay, now my top three is Mississippi State, Washington State, and Pitt. It's like, all right, and, you check the roster. Once he announced, it was like Louisville, Louisville, Louisville. Right. Was was the vibe at least? Well, the, all the I mean, I don't know what Louisville is doing. I don't know what Kenny Payne's like prerogative is here. I guess his. Like, does he plan on entering next season without guards? Like, it just doesn't. It doesn't seem like Amani Bates is happening, for no no reason other than like, if it was, why would it not already have happened, right? And outside of like, name me a guard who's out there. C.J. Kelly. Yeah, UMass's finest. The uh, Mr. Jawara. Seku Sisoho Jawara. Yeah. I have heard he is committed quietly to a WCC school. Name later. Purdue and Clemson and Iowa, all these teams are sleeping. Well, at the Purdue, Purdue, Purdue's hunting the David Jenkins fish, which is a very interesting move. I'm kind of in on that. I mean, it's like it was very anti anti painter, you know. That's it's poor man's Carson Edwards. Yes, but like Carson Edwards is a great kid. I don't know anything about David Jenkins, but like there are just been like so many like obvious issues with like effort. And like being a chucker, and like I just, I I would have to be like really certain about what he was bringing to my locker room to take. They needed chucker. They needed someone who was going to shoot that ball from the perimeter. So someone who, who was going to create a shot. That's true. And look, David Jenkins can flat out hoop. Like that dude, that dude did 1,800 career points to his name. He shot 38 percent or better from three in all four all four of his college seasons. He scored 20 points a game at mid major level. He had, he had 15 a game at UNLV in a year that didn't go great. But still, get 15 points a game in Mountain West. Like, if that's a transfer on the market, that's a good, you know, it's a big deal. He went to Utah this past year. He didn't have a great year, but he still, you know, he still was a 9-2-1 on 38% from three. And if Purdue added 9-2-1 on 38% from three, they'd probably be happy with that, right? As long as he wasn't a bad chemistry guy, right? Do we think, like, in all seriousness, that the reason why Purdue hasn't been able to get a guard is because the – 
instructions is going to be to dump it into Edie, right? Everything was made about how they are so good at playing to the post. That guard. I don't think they. I I just think they invested too much time in Tyrese Hunter and Nigel Pack, and then got outbid. Too picky. Speaking of WCC guards, UConn added a ninth man here, Joey Calcaterra from San Diego. I think he might be the tenth man. You in on Samson Johnson uh, bounce back season? Yeah, I'm not in on Joey Calcaterra playing for UConn because I don't think he was an above average WCC player. Well, they definitely needed this move for practice. I was thinking about this the other day. I was like, who who's on this team that's going against the starters? You know, play Samson Johnson at the three, but they got it all figured out. Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, there's there's no downside with this move. It's just you had open spots. Doesn't look like Stefan Castle's going to reclassify. To add add a guy who can shoot, play a couple different positions, can give you ten minutes. You know, he, he's He's not as accomplished as some of the Yukon glue guys of the past. Or, or maybe th- th- there was someone who they got from Holy Cross who was actually okay for them. But like he he, he doesn't have the pedigree of like Lasan Chroma or Niles, Niles Giffey or some of these former um, old school glue guys. But you know, he could add something similar to those guys. Yeah, I mean, you would think that... Uh, you would think that the guy they're hoping to be that like role player, obviously different than like a Niles Giffey would be uh um Sanjay. Sanjay. Yeah, but he doesn't yeah. shoot it. Right. No, very different player, obviously. But that's the guy you're hoping is like the high level role player, I would imagine. Yeah. Well, what else do we need to get to here? It, um, it was funny. I mean last week we were talking about Oregon's kind of backcourt question marks and they for the most part, figured it out. Yes. Did we hit Isaiah Mosley last week? I think we did. Pretty sure we did. Similar to Pitt, Missouri was some last-second intrigue. Yes. Uh, Maryland. How about them very quickly? I mean, I don't have a ton to say about Patrick Emelian or Callum Swanton-Roger, but uh, they got a short-term and a long-term big man to beef up this front court after missing on F.A. Abagidi, among others. Um, so Emelian is a, like, s- sort of skilled athletic forward who could play the four, played a little bit of five this past season at St. Francis, Brooklyn. He started his career at Western Michigan. Sienna recruited him out of high school, so I was, like, familiar. I was, like, a big fan. I always thought that this kid was going to be very good, but he kind of got lost in the shuffle in the Patsos transition and uh, went out of Western Michigan and, did not was not very good there. It was like a five point a game guy before averaging like fourteen at uh, in the NEC. So I would uh, temper expectations here, but maybe he can eat some minutes, particularly if someone like Ike Cornish can't uh, can't step up and and propel himself into the rotation. And then they got Callum Swanton Roger, who's a Canadian big man, uh, like this kind of late stock riser type that Oregon has been known to take over the years. Uh, Again, I, I don't know that this is necessarily a guy you expect to play a ton right away, but he's probably the only other true center on the roster, I think, based on what I know about all these guys. So maybe there's a few minutes to be had behind Julian Reese. Again, maybe there's flexibility here. Could you go smaller at some at times and play Dante Scott at the five? 
They had some success with that lineup two years ago under Turgeon. Uh, could Willard do something like that? Maybe. Um, I'm like, again, I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat intrigued with this Maryland group. A lot of it hinges on how good Jameer Young really is. But I think a young carry, Hakeem Hart, Dante Scott, and Julian Reese starting lineup is pretty solid. And um, there's a lot of options here for the bench with former good recruits like Cornish and Ian Martinez, um, the Willard guy, obviously, and Jahari Long, and then Noah Bachelor, the top 75 kid that I uh, – or not top 75, three-star recruit, but I think should have probably been like a top 75, top 100 kid. He was an athletic, you know, 3 and D type wing. So um, – not sure these those moves really move the needle a ton, but Maryland needed like two bodies to play at practice, if nothing else, and uh, they have those now. So, how about this move out of left field? Oklahoma gets Yaya Kita, yes, who Missouri loved. He was supposed to play a ton and be great this year. He he, he was obviously that was that was too much to put on the top 200 freshman. Um, just played a little bit. Now he's off to Oklahoma, where he's backup center to Tanner Groves. Yes, they didn't have a backup center. It's been hard to find tough sledding, obviously, in the big man market. Um, so you get like a long-term play. Um, more experience than a freshman. Seems like a good move to me. You would think he would play. They're a little crowded here in the backcourt. Um, I was mapping out my, my nine. I was trying to figure out who to pull from the top nine to uh, fit in Yaya Akita behind Tanner Groves. Very different from Tanner Groves, which I think is like a stylistically interesting thing. But it's like, is Jacob Groves not going to play? Well, Jacob Groves is the backup four behind Jalen Jalen Hill. But then you have like Otega Owe, top 75 recruit, CJ Noland, and B. John Cortez, who each got minutes last year. So someone's not going to make the uh, the cut. And then they also have the international kid, uh, Ben Schroeder, Germany. Desi Sills to Kansas State. Uh, Lisa filling out this roster finally. Yeah, again, filling some spots. Um, they still need a five man, and then they can. At I least mean, they they need everything, but they they are still uh, objectively the least talented team in the Big Twelve. Probably the least talented high major, right? Other than we have to go Cal. through it, but um. Yeah, there, there's not right a lot now of the, here. Right now I have them as Marquise Noel, Cameron Carter, Desi Sills, Naquan Tomlin, and Jarrell Colbert with Dorian Finister, Ismael Masood, David Gasson, and uh, Taj Manning off the bench. And Gasson's good. I, I think I think he'll he'll show out this year. Maybe he'll play some five. I just don't know where who who's gonna play. I, like the I, I think theoretically, right? Like Naquan Tomlin, like like if I'm projecting a depth chart, like my best, like I'm projecting the best cases, which is that like the Juco guy becomes good. Cause we know that David and Gasson is not going to be a uh, high level starter. Right. I think he'll be good. He's not going to score, but he'll, do he'll a, love rebounding. Do you think he's a starting caliber high major player? I think he's definitely a high major caliber player starting. Might be a little too rich for my blood, but you know we're we're talking about the last place Kansas State Wildcats here. Yes. The, the only same thing, thing with Desi Sills, right? Desi Sills, like he's a high major player. I don't know if I love him as a starter. I mean, it's kind of a similar situation to the Oregon State Beavers. They add Dimitri Rivni. Rivni, I've been told his pronunciation. Rivni, 
as as the latest dart throw on this team. Um, what, what what is this guy doing? This this team might be worse than Kansas State, honestly. Well, it's probably worse than Kansas State. Yeah. What, what 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 is what is Dimitri Rivney doing? He's not even gonna start. I saw his list. He had like some decent mid major options. Could have like gone and started at Colorado State or been like a twenty minute a game plus guy. Instead, he's going to a team that has like a ton of size, but none of it good. On a team that's gonna win like six games. Maybe he's just enamored with high major life. He flew charter to the NCAA tournament and was like, all right, I got to do this again. Does does Oregon State charter flights? I don't know. You would think. They're a high major team, but the Pac-12 the, has the weird charter rules. Why do they recruit like a bottom tier A-10 team? That could be a Wayne Tinkle problem. Um, this roster is hilarious because like, I don't like I, I don't think I've watched any of their players play. Other than Dimitri Rivney. Let me let me go back to the roster. I've seen Warth Altiche play. Warth Altiche is not coming back. Oh, he's not. No. So then, Mr. Reuni can start. Okay, I've yeah. seen I've seen Chol Mario, who may or may not be actually on the roster. I've seen Dexter sure, Cano. Cano play. Yeah, maybe like briefly. I might have seen Christian Wright in passing once. Dexter Cano wasn't good enough to play on a bad Marquette team, a bad Wojo Marquette team. I mean, he wasn't good enough to play a lot on a three-win Oregon State team, but here we are. Nobody loves nobody loves a down transfer more. I mean, is this technically a down transfer from San Francisco, seeing as Dimitri Rifney last year played like five minutes a game, seven minutes a game, something like that? Yeah, I mean, he's going to play more, certainly. Never um, change, Wayne. Never change. Somebody tweeted that Kim English said that Saquon Singleton is the starting point guard for George Mason. I don't think he said he was going to be the starting point guard. He just said that he was a he. They, they recruited him as a point guard. So I think he's going to be the starting point guard. Conceivably, yeah. Yeah. I guess the question then becomes: Are you starting Justin Fernandez or Davon Cooper? I think Cooper. Cooper had it. Had a good year last year, right? Shot it well. Yeah, but Justin Fernandez was like the prized recruit. It would seem funny to me that they would get him over Florida, top 100 kid, get him to enroll early, and then be like, "Whoop, well, yeah, you're, you're the sixth man." And then I, I don't, I really I don't have it on Robbins. my depth chart, so I'm not going to butcher it. But uh, John Ojiaco has a different first name now. And it is. We're just going it, to. It, it's like, I think it was one of those things where he started going by John or something, like when he came to America or like once he played high school basketball or something along those lines, and uh, is no longer just going by John. Like he's going by his real first name. But either way, Mr. Ojiaco, uh, I think will be a good player there. I'm, 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 I'm drinking the, the Ojiaco Kool Aid, I'm drinking some, some Mason Kool Aid. Elvis Naji, the uh, three-star freshman they got, he's a very good athlete for a big man. I just don't know he, where he's gonna when he's gonna how he's gonna play. Like, is he gonna play over? I guess he could play if Blake Jones doesn't play. One of the two gets to play probably a little bit as like a backup big. But he uh, probably won't play much this year. They're also yeah. good. They're all like four shooters and like Ticket yeah. playing the four. So I don't know. Yeah, but they're gonna lose Oduro next offseason. They're probably gonna lose Ticket. They could maybe get Ticket for one more, but they're definitely gonna lose Victor Bailey. 
that's that's the challenge with these rebuild jobs. Like in order to get talent, right? Like they got track Schwartz on a uh, one-year deal. Basically, they got Victor Bailey on a one-year deal. Um, so you kind of got to flip it every year. It's like, all right, you treaded water. You got to, you know, and they weren't great record-wise, but they were like top 120 in Ken Palm. Okay, you bring in Victor Bailey, you bring in Saquon Singleton, Ojiako. Maybe, maybe you get a little bit better. Maybe maybe you're top 80, top 90. But then, okay, you're losing Oduro and Ticket and those dudes, and say, like, all right, like let's let's flip it again and try to get a little bit better every time. But it's hard, you know. So kind of swimming upstream here. Another team that could be down at, at down with the dregs of high majors, Georgia Tech. They got. Fred's Bakatskis. I guess he's between them and. I have his name as Fred's Pauls. I don't know where the Pauls came from. They got him. He's a stretch four, I guess, over Xavier. These international recruiting battles, I mean, I don't really know how they work, so I try not to, like, think too deeply into, like. They just happen. It's just like the guy. The guy just just, like picks three schools out of the hat, you know, and it's just like, oh, I guess some, you know. Santi Aldama was a first-round NBA draft pick from Loyola, Maryland. Well, and there's like Baba Miller. Like I've never, like no like basketball, like no college basketball fans ever heard of Baba Miller. And like two days, two days, then someone was like, oh yeah, he's gonna visit Florida State and Zaga, and then he like picks Florida State. And like, oh my gosh, what a great get! Really? I actually Maybe? saw tweets about Baba like a week before he committed. Which wow, is like, look at you. Which for international guys, that's, 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 that's a, like that's a years. It but people sad. have him as like a lottery pick. Yeah, that's um, not gonna happen for next season. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think we have to worry about that one. He didn't shoot it well enough, right? That's his thing. Yeah. Um, are there any other moves that we need to mention? I feel like we've hit all of the even like re- irrelevant ones. I, I, that is one of the good parts of this uh this time of year when we do the podcast when we're still like wrapping up the news news podcasts of the year. It's like if Dimitri Rivney committed to Oregon State in April, probably just doesn't doesn't even hit the wire. But we got a little room, a lot of got a little room. Said, so, eh, well, might as well mention Mr. Rivney. See if he's a uh, got anything anything popping. So. I mean, there's there's not much out there. I saw um, Shane Dizoni has a crystal ball at Temple. Former yes, top hundred recruit. I did see that. Amani uh, Bates, away. we have no idea where Amani Bates is going. Um, yeah. What David Jenkins sounds like Purdue, which I'm I'm all for. Yeah, they could use another guard too, but there's obviously no one left. Um, Joey Baker waiting on one of these Gonzaga Bulldog uh, bench guys has to has to bail. Feels like they won't, but they once once all of this settles in, though, maybe in a week or so, we're gonna have to like do something, you know, gotta rank some teams and go from there. We have the NBA draft coming up. It's true. Should oh, Kim Aiken's still in the portal. Kim Aiken is still in the portal. Well, Noah Waterman's in the portal after yes. reneging on St. Bonaventure. My hunch is that uh, BYU offered a bag. So he's taking a visit to make sure he's down with the lifestyle. But Which, my hunch would be that the uh, they they decided to hop in NIL wise. There's Jackson Robinson still out there, six seven athletic. Way you can shoot it from uh, Arkansas. 
did not play in either of his first two spots. Um, visited Colorado State over the weekend for Source. So that would work. Thought Gerald Liddell is out there. Yeah. Gerald Liddell, yeah. yeah. I had assumed he was going to Jackson State with Mo Williams, but I don't know. Really, really slim pickings, but it is June, June, whatever. Yes. Very, very slowly uh, meandering. We have some scheduling news. How do we feel about the aircraft carrier being back? I mean, it didn't work. Yeah, like, it, it the seems floor really is wet. Yeah. The, How about the, the baseball stadium? Even be played. How about the baseball stadium? In the winter, too. I guess that's good use of baseball it, stadiums. It's a dome, so it should be okay. Yeah. Are are they bringing in seats like like bleacher seats, or are they just positioning so, the court near the actual based seats? A, based upon the rendering that was circulated by Intersport, the event company that's putting on the event, um, shout out to our friends over there. Um, they're like kind of setting up like center court to be like just in front of home plate, so like. People who have seats, like if you were to sit like near, like around like home, like around like the dugouts and in, you would have like a decent view of the action. And then you could theoretically go from the other side and have like some decent stuff. And then there is some seating on the floor, but not a ton from what, on, on, the, uh, on, the, on the field from what it looked like. But obviously those things can continue to adjust. I mean, it's a random uh, MTE too, or not... Not even, even an MTE, just a, just a showcase. So, I mean, how many fans are really going to be there? Well, a lot of Wisconsin fans. You, you, you should not underestimate how little life people in Milwaukee have. Did they show out to Maui Vegas last year? Mm, they had the most fans, certainly, of any team. And that was a flight from Wisconsin Thanksgiving week to Vegas. This is a local game. So, hmm. the only reason that would hold up Fan attendance would probably be that Wisconsin football is playing at Iowa on a Saturday, and the game's on a Friday. So maybe the uh, the fans won't want to. Uh, well, the fans will be in route to Iowa City. But it is good. I mentioned this on Twitter to get this Gonzaga Michigan State game on an aircraft carrier on the Friday of Veterans Day, assuming it happens, and the uh, Brew City Classic, as I believe it's being called. Um, between Wisconsin and Stanford on Veterans Day is a good thing for the opening week slate uh, because this year, the, so the season starting on Monday this year, not Tuesday, of that you know, first full week of November. And that's because Election Day is on Tuesday. And for like the voting initiative that the uh, uh, NCAA put in, like you, you shouldn't be competing on Election Day so that everyone can go vote. It's not even a presidential uh, election. The midterms. It's a big election. Very important. Um, but there's so there will be. I don't know if there will be no games on election day, but there will be like very few. I think if there are, they'll be like pretty like limited to like local games. Um, so because of that, Champions Classic, which is usually Tuesday night opening night, is not until the fifteenth, the second Tuesday of the year. Um, and this that's first week is going to be disgusting. That's what I'm saying. It's gonna be dreadful. We're gonna be like, we're gonna be waiting for that Gonzaga Michigan State game. The Michigan Gonzaga will probably win by 20 uh, on the aircraft carrier. Um, 
It's not going to happen. They're going to play five minutes, and everyone's going to get on their knees with a towel and try to wipe the floor. People are going to, like, scrape their feet like they do. Like, oh, man, this is really wet. And they're going to call the game. It's going to be 12 to 10 Gonzaga at the 13-minute mark. I prefer the idea of what happened in the Syracuse-San Diego State game many years ago on the USS Midway. Which is that like the wind is gusting, and so the, the shots are way off. They shoot the team shoot a combined like two for twenty from three. I mean, just what, what a disaster! Like, what, what are these opening week games going to be? Like, there's no, no high major team is going to play like a serious home and home that week. No one wants to open like that. It's going to be by game after by game. Well, and that's why I. Um, that is one of the main reasons why this quote-unquote Brew City Classic is happening, per sources, was the idea of adding another game, a neutral game that could be marketed and be on CBS or whatever the broadcast rights wind up going to. You know, be on a big network and be like a showcase game for the sport opening week. The problem is it's Wisconsin, who is uh, probably not going to be that good, particularly the first week of the season with uh, Chucky Hepburn leading the way. And then opening on a Monday, good thing nobody watches Monday Night Football, right? Yes, not ideal by any stretch. I don't know why they're going to start on Wednesday. Yeah. But, oh, well, hey, I'll be watching. We'll be, we'll be tuned in. Hopefully we get some good, uh, good local game. Maybe we can get, some, maybe we can get the HBCU to come play Loyola and DePaul back-to-back, and I can write about their journey again. Maybe Stonehill will have a game I can go to. Yeah, the boys. Get <laughs> get that one out of the way while my options are going to be watching, like, Stonehill in person or watching Xavier play Morgan State or something. Uh, yes. I'm looking forward. I, look, give me a bye game to watch anytime. I would watch a bye game right now, so... Uh. I think that's all for this week's episode, Brad. Anything, uh, anything else oh. you'd like to add before we wrap, wrap here? Uh, oh, what are you watching on on the old television? Well, I was I was very uh, I, you know, I just finished uh, Money Heist. I've been running on graduation festivities all weekend. I didn't really watch much television. And I came home yesterday and I saw that uh, Squid Game was getting renewed, and that made me say, you know what? I watched Squid Game last time in like three days in December during basketball season. So maybe I should rewatch it, pick up some new stuff. I'm redoing Squid Game here. That'll be like a week-long project, and then we'll figure out what's next. Might, might circle back to the Americans, which I kind of cut off in the middle of. See, 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 see One of the great got. all-time shows, the Americans. We love the Americans. Um, all right, folks. Uh, we will see you all next week. Uh with another episode previewing the NBA draft. Look forward to it. Thanks, guys.